Broadcasting from everywhere and nowhere, the Misfit Crew at Southfleet HQ is proud to bring you the Dive Living Podcast. Welcome back to another episode of the Die Living Podcast, brought to you as always by Softleet. Today we are joined with one of our friends from the internet, and his name is Roke. I hope I'm pronouncing that right or correctly. <laughs> yeah, <did> pretty good. <laughs> and uh, yeah, man, thanks for coming to join us. Always a pleasure. We actually have been hanging out with uh, Roke online for for a while we'll get into that but we were just recently met in real life down at the hog hunt in february so <laughs> and he was as handsome in person as he, he was, was in just my dreams. as handsome in person as in our <laughs> dreams sounds right. less creepy than when you were asking him what his age sex and location were right yeah <laughs> <laughs> your parents don't know we're talking do they? and now i know the back end of that question you know all yeah. right but, hi yeah. my name's chris hansen <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> it was uh, it was awesome meeting down in Texas, man, and you know getting together with everyone and actually actually hanging out, uh, as well as talking to you about hunting a little bit more in depth, and hoping we can chat a little bit about that today and talk about kind of how you came to be involved with Softleet and uh, you know just kind of all the all the cool stuff that you're doing. So for anyone that that isn't familiar, hasn't seen seen Roke either in his own social media or through Softleet social media. Uh, Roke is a pretty avid hunter. Uh, he does a lot of night hunting, uh, and he's also a pretty fantastic photographer. So I was <laughs> pretty blown away at the the quantity and quality of the stuff that you're putting out, uh, putting out oh, on the thanks, ground. Man. So in fact, and actually, I don't even know. I think... Uh, I was probably head down in the sand ostrich style when you got involved with softly on Instagram. So I don't even know how that happened, but man, what, you know what, what was the connection? I, I actually, um, man, cause I've always been kind of into the working out thing and I've always kind of kept in shape just cause I, you know, my age, I'm a little bit older. So I just want to kind of keep, you know, the capacity going, keep active, you know, that thing you slow down and you, it's a hard time getting back up. And I came, came about softly just cause I was looking for protein. I was looking for protein online and I've been taking the same stuff over and over. And, and I, I found you all through an online link, y'all's Instagram. So I went through that and I said, Oh shit, these guys are pretty cool. You all were actually doing all like the daily workouts were going on there. So I started following that in the local gym and I ended up getting some of your all's pre-workout had that, had that and some protein purchased. And I just like started, you know, cause I've always in, been into like taking pictures of, you know, gadgets, you know, kind of like whether it be guns, uh, watches, whatever the case may be, hunting stuff. And I started just including some of your all's, uh, you know, either the, the pre-workout container, you know, just to kind of just add more to the picture. And that's when I, we started, you know, I think you all started sharing some of my pictures slowly. And then we just started kind of going back and forth. This and is when Bill and, uh, 
and uh, Brent and I just sit around and we're like, hey, did you see that guy's <laughs> pictures? He took cool pictures. We should send him a message, <laughs> which then devolves into like the creepy like, hey, we saw your pictures on the internet. Would, would you mind yeah. us sharing them? Uh, hey, man, do you, do you want to be friends? Still super weird when I, I uh, realize that I'm the one sending solicitation emails to like Josh Brolin, like, hey, bro, your movie Sicario was super sick. If you want to <laughs> hang out with cool soft guys. Slide into my DMs. Weapons free, my friend. <laughs> Did he ever write you back? He's never written me back. I would write him another message, but I'm afraid that it would be viewed as stalking at that Next point. Next time you do it, don't send the dick pics. <laughs> yeah. You'll probably catch <laughs> my flies that way. <laughs> right. So I'm sorry, man, but Doug reached out to you. You guys started chatting. And right. uh, the rest, I guess, maybe as they say, is history. Yeah, I went. I think I went through a, a few emails with Brent back and forth, and that was it. You know, cool. Kind of worked out. All right. So obviously, before then, you had already started doing a lot of photography. Uh, we're already a pretty avid hunter. Can you tell right. me a little bit about how you got into photography? I know you mentioned, you know, uh, both in terms of gear, <laughs> but right. obviously taking taking pictures of of gear or product type shots is way different than taking pictures, especially at night outdoors. Yeah. Um, but also how you got into hunting. I'm really curious well, as to what, what the impetus was there. Okay. Well, I'll start with the hunting cause that's kind of a longer story. Um, man, believe it or not. I mean, I know this is kind of probably completely outlandish in this today's world, but back, uh, you know, I grew up on a real small, small, small ranch, uh, in a population t- city had maybe 600 people. You know, no gas stations, no nothing. So everything real secluded. Uh, my parents, they owned uh, about four and a half acres of land, one acre, which was house, you know, and the rest was pasture with a couple cows. So being back then, you know, very limited with all the electronics and all that mess. So they pretty much, I mean, as wild as it sounds, handed me a 22, you know, and started getting into oh, all the sounds, firearms. Sounds wild now, but I don't think it's Yeah, actually, but back then it was like totally normal. No, you bro, know? it's like that's that's how we were raised in Texas. <laughs> like you got your 22, right? Like it's all good. Yeah, and and It's not even a real up. bullet, right? Like It's not, man. <laughs> 22s were like that's like plinking. It's like a high-powered BB. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it was just the standard, you know, muzzle up, finger off the trigger, firearm always on safe, uh, and don't shoot towards any houses. And don't shoot towards any people. That was the only rules I was given, you know. So walking around the house, shooting blackbirds out of trees, you know, with a twenty-two, which I, is hard. Course, to, that's hard to do, bro. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I was about five, I would say five or six. And you know, I was with my dad a lot because he was always outdoors. But it was like totally normal, and that's how I ended up getting into shooting. Which at that point, I was also, you know, at the age of four, uh, my dad started taking me to this. We'd butcher pigs every Christmas, you know, with an old group of his friends that he's known for 30 plus years. So these guys back then were about maybe 40, 40 and 50. And here I am tagging along as a little kid, super cold December down here. Well, cold for us, which is like maybe mid fifties, you know, <laughs> uh, you had that starter jacket or car <laughs> jacket on though. For yeah, sure. exactly. Back then I would rock that, like that puffer vest, Yep. you know, just cause it was like in style. And, and I, so I slowly started getting kind of like, I guess, influenced cause these guys, they'd hunt whatever they'd kill, they'd bring back that day and they'd be, be skinning it out. They're butchering a pig. So I kind of got really involved in it at a super young age. So at four, that's when I actually was able to uh, shoot my first hog, which it's a caged animal, but you know, I'm so young. I have a full size uh, bolt action 22. So it's just kind of like rest the rifle on the fence. 
Uh, wait till the hog looks at you, hit it like an inch above between the eyes to make sure that it actually enters the skull and we're good, you know? So that was when I fir- actually shot my first pig at four. So, so 22. Little- What's that? With a 22. That's amazing. With a 22. Yeah. yeah I yeah. want to go back on record as well as saying that Aaron gave me a long speech about how I couldn't shoot hogs with two 23s at the hog hunt two years ago, <laughs> but Rocky's allowed to kill him with 22 long rifle. Well, if you were as good of a shot as <laughs> that's as not, Rocky that was. is not fair. There's going to be, this is going to be an icy <laughs> podcast from here on. <laughs> <clears throat> Just to clarify for, for everyone who may be listening to this, the hog hunt that we do every year, the lodge a few years ago, had set a rule that we couldn't hunt with 223 anymore. And the reason that happened was because two Green Berets went out. Not me. Not me. Not Doug, <laughs> but two two seasoned Green Berets oh, no. went out and shot eight pigs the first day of the hunt, and we recovered zero of them. Well, they were uh, they- they said they shot eight pigs. They said they shot eight <laughs> pigs. However, one of them also then shot a doe the next day in the morning, decided to stay out all day without water to look for this doe. We picked him up in the evening. And he was like pants ripped, shirt off, tied around his head. <laughs> We're not going to name any names Sunburned, here. dehydrated. <laughs> oh, no. <clears throat> and... Uh, that was uh, after that. The the lodge was like, you know what, guys, um, we're gonna use some some higher caliber weapons next time. Oh, dude, this is just like there are people like Roque that you meet, especially like growing up in Texas, that are talented. Like they grew up around guns. Like I had a buddy in Midland who like refused to. He would call which gender his quail were when they wow. took off, and he would only shoot. Like he's like, I'm only going to shoot males today. And you're like, yeah. how can you tell, dude? Like, well, I can, I can tell the Bob white by the markings. Like what? No, they all look the same, man. He's like, he would yeah. only shoot the males. And you're like, all right, man, good for you. Yeah. We actually got into doing that with the uh, waterfowl hunting. Cause duck hunting pretty much is like the drakes are the nice colorful ones. And the hens are the ones that are going to be real bland, you know? Yep. So, so literally when we're, when we got ducks coming in with, no matter where we're set up with, who I'm hunting with, it's always like, go for the drakes. So not only is it trying to ID the species, but now it's like to ID the drake. And I mean, they're coming at you at like 45 mile an hour, you know, and the angle is just super crazy. So you're having to do all of that at the same time. And at first it was real hard to do. You can literally tell like the basic species, you know, redheads, just cause like their heads like shining so bright with the reflection of the sun. But once you start getting into like the gadwalls, spoonbills, like you just start, I mean, it's like, wow, the guys I hunt with a lot of the times, they're the ones that taught me on how to ID the waterfowl for that reason alone, you know? Yeah. It's crazy, man. It's, it's awesome when you see like, uh, like when you see guys that are hunting that really develop a relationship with nature, like it becomes a lot more like, I think it's easy for people that are listening to podcasts that aren't hunters to hear us talking and be like, Oh, those guys are just murdering animals. And you're like, well, there's a relationship that's developed with nature. Like if we were to leave nature to its own courses, there would be problems as well, right? Right, right. Well, it's called wildlife hey, you know management. What? Well, <laughs> and I, I think that we've talked about this maybe a little bit. I know there's a lot of a lot of stuff that can be read out there, but there is a seriously counterintuitive effect where hunting actually helps to increase species numbers rather than decrease species numbers. Oh yeah, and that's one of those things that 
sounds totally well counterintuitive as i said that's a big uh, word aaron what is counterintuitive, counterintuitive? was that a, a three syllable word i went to a, <laughs> I went to a small <laughs> state school word? in texas i don't know <clears throat> what these words mean <laughs> not as you might think but uh yeah i think well we don't have to get into the philosophy of of hunting or the I mean, ethics of hunting. I don't mind. I'm a nerd. We can talk about it, but I want to hear Rocky's or yeah. Roque's story first. Um, sure. Where'd I leave off? Oh, so walking around with a 22. And um, so one thing led to another. I got a little bit older, 22, stayed around. I started, you know, bird hunting, which at the time, you know, 410s were super popular, super expensive to shoot. And they were, they were all single shot at the time, you know. So it's like, this is your box of shells. You're not going to shoot wild. Make sure that you're aiming at everything you're shooting at. You're not just out there to blow blow money away pretty much. And I, so I started kind of getting I'm relatively good. You know, you kind of adapt to what you're using and you become more efficient than I ever thought I would be. And that escalated to a 20 gauge. And by this time, I'm about maybe 10, mm-hmm. uh, 10 or 11. And being that I was from a super small town, I had to go to another school that was maybe seven miles away, which was still a small school. Uh, 3A down here in Texas at the time. And my parents somehow caught wind of uh, like a target shooting that was going to be held at a local 4-H, which is just like pretty much is brought together with all, with the counties. So it was a Cameron County 4-H and they were going to have tryouts. So they're like, shit, you know, well, do you want to do it? And I'm like, yeah, I was all about it. But I didn't have any gun. So I had to like, the gun that I was using was semi-automatic by this time. Uh, that bolt action I wasn't able to use anymore because it was belonged to my uncle, I think. So we had to borrow a gun. So my dad ended up having a friend. He had a bolt action 22 peep sight, couldn't have any kind of optic. And I went and just showed up at this tryout and it was literally like, it was at an MMA uh, Marine Military Academy. They had a little shooting range, an outdoor and an indoor. Out so in Harlingen, man. Yeah, yeah, they're in Harlingen. So uh, so we all lined up. Said, okay, here's your spot. You're going to shoot at that target. And I can't remember how many rounds it was. And after everybody finished, they went and gathered the targets and kind of like, you know, graded them or scored them to a sense. And that same day, they're like, okay, you 12 kids or 14 kids, you're going to go indoors now and you're going to see how you do on the indoor range. So I ended up making that cut, uh, went indoors, shot a little bit in there. And they, that's when they kind of pitched it to my parents. Uh, you know, well, what do you think about him joining this club? We're going to try and make a team together that can compete through Texas. Uh, would you be willing to do that? Uh, and my my parents said yes. So I was like, great. You know, now it's to look for a rifle, a bolt rifle that had a peep sight, which is at front. You can change the the reticles on it and that small peep on the back. And mind you, I'm super, I'm young. These guns at the time are like super heavy for a youngster, you know, because they're like a full stock, full stock bull barrel. Uh, these, are like the, these are like those Kimber and Anschutz ones too, right? Right, yeah. right. right. And this is, and at this time it was a lake field and I actually still have the gun. And this, you know, was a shit over 20 years ago. And uh, so we started getting good with that and practicing, you know, standing, kneeling and prone, which were the the different positions that you had to shoot. There wasn't one or the other. You had to shoot uh, all three on your sit. And just in shooting with that, the team ended up like going to regionals, won regionals, went to state. And uh, man, I really enjoyed it. And that's when I really kind of like got into the shooting thing, even more so than just the regular hunting around the yard. You know, I actually shot so much into a, a palm tree, which are real common down here that it rotted out the core of it. And my dad literally had to like chop it off just because there was so much lead pumped into it. Cause I was burning. I mean, I spent hours lying, light out with that gun and just you know, target shooting pretty much. Damn, man. That's pretty rad. Yeah. So how did you do with competition? We ended up, man, I want to say, I think we got, we got second in 
at regionals as a team. And there was, I want to say five of us. Mm-hmm. And, and those three, I mean, those five, we ended up going to state and it was at College Station actually is where they hosted uh, the competition for state. We shot there and I mean, there were super high speed teams, you know, they all had the extremely, I mean, the gear was top notch. All the training was top notch because this was completely new to the area. It was like a, almost like a pilot program, you know, let's mm-hmm. see if this works and let's see if we can get some guys to compete. And we actually did relatively good cool. at state. I can't remember the, what we got, you know, just so, so long ago. Uh, I want to say it was maybe fifth. But, uh, I mean, man, for the first year of ever doing it, like everybody, I mean, did relatively well. And at that age, you know, you're, you're already breaking into like the junior high. And I was involved in sports all my life. You know, it's one of those soccer, football, baseball. And over here, it's like all at the same time. So I was super busy with all of that. So I just kind of broke away from the competition side and just stayed heavily into the hunting. Cool. So going back to the family side, was most of the protein or meat that you guys put on your table, was that from hunting or was it more of kind of a, you know, like special occasion recreational thing? You know what? A lot of it, a lot of it was, was meat from hunting. Mm -hmm. Um, My dad hunted a lot at a young age, him and my mom, they'd actually, I mean, again, back then it was something you do like together and it was goose hunting, laying out in the field at 4 a.m. when it's 30 degrees uh, trying to get geese out of the sky or my uncle also was a, a big hunter. So he'd always bring food over. My dad, like, you know, that small ranch, I guess, uh, ranch life, all the neighbors know each other. Hey, this guy killed an animal. Hey, here's a leg quarter of it. Get some, some meat off of it. So it was a, a combination of the two is what I pretty much had growing up, you know? Cool. And yeah. when did you start really actively hunting yourself? That was probably at the age of about 12 13. All right. Uh, my being where we lived, I could just literally walk 500 yards and there was a tree line that we'd hunt, uh, you know, pretty much wing hunting has always been like my favorite, but gotcha. it's so limited down here. So it was blackbirds and then it went to all the dove season. Man, and my hunt, dad hunting blackbirds is like the hardest thing. <laughs> you would think planet. it'd be super easy because they're like flying relatively slow, but it throws you off. But they're wise, dude. Like, I mean, like, yeah. like, hey, I can stare at a tree full of blackbirds all day and they're just like laughing at you and like hanging out. And you're like, <laughs> I'm going to shoot one. And like you go to your truck to get a gun and like the yeah. second you pull it out, they're all like, like, oh, that guy's got a gun now. And they're just like watching you. And as soon as you like try to <laughs> aim at one of them, they're all like gone. They're gone. Yeah. How does a blackbird my- taste? I mean, I don't, I haven't ever eaten blackbird. Have you eaten blackbird? No, I haven't. (laughs) I I know people do, but it's not something I've ever like, you know, wanted to do is just kind of shoot them and throw them in the water for the gar. Yeah. It's a, they're, they're like a, I mean, I don't know how it is where you're at, but like where I grew up, uh, blackbirds were total nuisance. Like they would come in in like thousands. Is that like a grackle? Is that similar? Right. Yeah. Okay. It's a grackle. I mean, we call them blackbirds just because, you know, the colors and it's black. Yeah, but but they're grackles. Yeah, yeah and they, they are a nuisance. I mean, you go into some areas in town, and you you have to watch where you park just because it's going to be covered in bird shit. I mean, they're they're everywhere pretty much, and they'll, they'll start tearing up your stuff. Yeah. yeah. So you're doing mostly night hunting now, right? <clears throat> the majority, yeah, is night hunting. All right. Uh, not not to day hunting. Like I mean, hunting the morning stands for predators. I mean, nothing beats being out there super early and getting that sunrise and getting that nice feel, the nice view. Mm-hmm. Uh, but night hunting has been something that I've kind of leaned more towards. How'd you transition into that? It was actually relatively hard just because the guys that I started hunting with, uh, and we've been hunting together for about mm, maybe nine years now. 
you know, back then we didn't have the funds nor the technology, really, the know-how. Uh, nobody was really doing all the thermal stuff back then. It was pretty really expensive. Deep. I mean, it's yeah. a lot of gear. I mean, hey, what do you got? I mean, you carry, you were telling us earlier, it wasn't on, on uh, recording, right. but like, what, what does your setup look like mostly? Like I'm going to have right now, I've been using a, a thermal monoculars to scan. Is so it like a FLIR or like, is it a nice one or did yeah, you get it, a good it's a, budget it's a Pulsar, one? Pulsar uh, night vision version. So Pulsar right now, I guess they've kind of really upped the quality of their products for the price compared to we've been using FLIR before that, but yep. the quality for the consumer wasn't quite there. You know, you can afford it, but you're not going to, the resolution wasn't going to be quite there to, you'd be able to detect heat, especially for predator hunting. You know, you need maybe two, 300 yards, yeah. but you wouldn't be able to tell what it was at all, you know? So that's what I actually started out with a uh, FLIR and I ended up getting a Pulsar. So that's what I use now, Pulsar uh, HD38A, which is the 38th the size of the, the actual the objective lens the objective or the lens. actually it's not even objective lens it would be like the plate right like the right. sensor plate right so that's what i have and then on my rifle i went ahead and invested in a on a pvs 14 which is just gen 3 uh and i have an adapter that puts that pretty much on on any scope that i have so that'll be what i have behind the optic and i use a, an ir light that's a pretty pretty powerful to kind of give me that extra light on those super dark nights you know most Usually of your shots, on, I'm assuming most of your shots are under hundred meters, right? Right. I, I have a man. And even with a 17, I've shot a dog out to about one, 143, 150 and it dropped him. I mean, he wasn't dead cause I spined him. Yep. But I mean, it dropped him there and we were able to finish it off. But yeah, that's relative. Some of the guys, they, they get a little bit too crazy with their lights. That, oh yeah. I can see 700 yards of this thing at night. Yeah. But who's actually going to shoot that? You know? What made you, uh, what made you go with the 17 HMR as your like round of choice? You know, that was what I first started predator hunting with. And I mean, I was dropping animals like crazy, you know, it's, it's a small round. It's a hot little round, bro. Yeah. I mean, it's howling, you know, coming out. Um, it's not, you would think like a 17 HMR super quiet. It's actually not just because of speed that it's coming out of that barrel, you know, even suppressed. It's still, it's like, I mean, is it suppressed? Because, I mean, it still sounds kind of loud. Especially you still got night. that crack, man, that supersonic crack. It's like right. I, I've got cans on all my 5.56 guns, and everybody's like, it's like, it's ear safe, but not really, right? <laughs> yeah. And, and it's relatively inexpensive to shoot. You know, you can buy a pack of 50 rounds for maybe 18 bucks or something like that if you're going to get some VMAX stuff. Yeah. And that's pretty much what I've been shooting, just to conserve on the pelt side. Uh, you get those hunters that, you know, they just want to drop an animal, get a picture, and trash it, you know? But... I mean, I kind of, you know, it's more, it's not necessarily just to kill for me. It's more just like the experience and, and it's like the excitement that I have to actually be like, man, you know what? This pill's not damaged. I mean, I can actually take it to get tan. That's perfect. That's what I want. You know, I'm super unsatisfied if I actually get a gut shot on an animal because like, fuck, like, what am I doing? You know, like, man, I messed up. I pulled the shot and he's dead, but I'm still disappointed in myself, you know, just because I didn't get a neck shot. Or like a high shoulder shot, which is pretty much what you want on a predator, especially with a seventeen. Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting though to see that. I know, like we just we just dropped a blog post on caliber choice for rifle, and right. typically when you're thinking about buying a long range rifle, people aren't talking about you know seventeen HMR or twenty two Nosler as right. like go to because 
they're thinking more like terminal effects too, even if they don't need them, right? Right, right. And if you're going after, you know, coyotes and and badgers, like, you know, like if you happen to yeah. luck into a badger, <laughs> uh, then I guess, you know, 17 HMR is, is the ticket. I mean, how is, have you hunted hogs with 17 HMR too? Actually, I have. Uh, and there's a picture, there's a picture that I have where we killed a monster with a 17 HMR. Mind you, we were about 30 yards away from it because we're stalking him. We're, we're stalking, we're playing the wind. Uh, we have a view and it was, this was an awesome hunt that, I, that we had me and a buddy of mine. And it was like, I mean, you know, with thermal, you know, black hot, white hot, and we're scanning a field and there was still some, uh, some sorghum, you know, the stock was still yep. there for the regrowth. So it was relatively high and you couldn't necessarily see all the backs of the animal, but you saw something white just pouring through. It looked like water coming out of a flood, a flood channel, you know, and you're like, man, what is that? Is it going to be like, you know, cause there's javelina, you can't shoot those at night, you know? So we need to make sure to ID properly. And once they made it out to like the, I guess a disc area of the field. I mean, man, they were all hogs. It was a huge group of about 30. So we started, we started stalking them and they were going the complete opposite direction of us. So, so we're with a tripod that I use that cough jigger <laughs> that y'all seen in my pictures, yep. a gun that's heavy as shit, you know, with all the, with all the accessories. I mean, it's a chassis rifle, right? Yeah. 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 So, I mean, we're now we're having to stalk this thing and, and we end up going maybe, I don't know, 800, 800, 900 yards before we actually get close enough to them. And the first shot, I mean, and mind you, we're using IR NVG. Nobody has a flashlight because we're just so excited to try and get on these hogs. So now we're so far away from the vehicle. There's no getting a flashlight at this point. And there's corn on both sides of us. So it's, it's high. I mean, we can hear them running around, but we don't know where they're at. And finally one hog comes out and I thought it was going to be all sows just because usually hog, the boars travel alone. So uh, a sow comes out, I see him on the flare and I tell my buddy, cause he was going to shoot. Like, bro, there he is. And he gets him out. He's like, oh, okay, I got him. I got him. He shoots, it grunts, and it runs like north. And we're on an east-west two-track. So we're like, oh, shit. Okay, now we hear pigs running all <laughs> over us, and we can't see where they're at. And my thermal's at two-time magnification. So, I mean, anything closer than 20 feet, I mean, I can't see. And, I mean, it's pitch black night. So the hog ends up coming out again. He shoots it, but with an eye shot, and it dropped. And it had to have been at least a 250-pound boar. Wow. Huge. Massive with a 17 HMR, huh? With a 17 HMR, and then that right after that, I ended up shooting two more hogs with it. And uh, I mean, they drop. You just got a shot placement, you know. You really yeah, gotta worry. Even with a 223, I mean, you shoot these hogs in the plate, and they're gonna run. You yeah. know, you really have to get them either ear or just there after the year. And uh, and luckily, I was telling uh, the guys there at Freedom because I've been shooting their boar buster through a 223 because I do hunt quite a bit with a 223 especially if there's going to be hogs out now. But uh, man, one shot dropped that last big boar that I, that I sent over to Aaron. Uh, luckily, because I didn't want him to run because we were so, so close to a real heavily wooded area. And I needed him to drop there because I knew he was going to be massive. I just couldn't tell exactly how big until we pulled him out. And shit, that's the biggest one I've shot to date. Yeah, man. So are you mostly hunting pigs now, would you say? I hunt both, but due to the seasons down here, not that mm. the hunting season, but the, the farming season. Sure. So, so a lot of the areas that you would relatively hunt uh, hogs, you know, there isn't the crop. So the hogs aren't as active, you know, mm. once the crops start coming in, hogs start coming in and start tearing it up. So, uh, and also predators. Now, when there isn't the crop, you can hunt predators a lot easier because they're coming out of that wooded area and you can spot them. You can scan a, a bigger area rather than just a small lane. Sure. And, and are you doing a lot of spot and stock hunting or is it mostly kind of picking a spot where you think you have a good setup? No, the majority is spot and stock. 
right. especially, especially for the hogs, because all the hogs that I've killed, none of them are baited hunts. So you're not hunting just one spot. You're pretty much setting up in a strategic area, depending sure. on where the wind's blowing and start scanning. And once you scan, there's no turning on the truck and driving closer to them. You literally right. have to like start, start the stock. It could be 200 yards. It could be 600 yards, you know? Yep. No, that makes a lot of night. sense. And where are you hunting? Is it mostly farmers that you've built relationships with that you're helping them out by kind of eradicating the hog nuisance or? Yeah, there's a couple land? of spots. There's a couple of spots that the hunters, I mean, the, sorry, the farmers are, are just, they're pretty tired of just the damage that these, that these animals give on their, on their crops. Sure. I mean, they'll, they'll let me know, Hey, look, you know what? They're starting to come in again. Here's mm-hmm. all the tracks of them going back and forth. They laid down almost an acre of, of crop just in one night. Uh, if you can, if you're able to go ahead and come by and shoot them, you know, so that along with some areas, some other uh, friends of mine, they have uh, property to some land and also lease some land yep. that they can hunt on. All right. So we pretty much kind of poke around. Are you doing any public land hunting at all? Down here, believe it or not, there's that's almost not, zero public yeah, that's land. No, that's no not public a thing land in Texas. Texas. No, man. No. We, no. We, we believe in freedom and personal <laughs> land ownership in Texas. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, and down here, the property, I mean, those guys that do have property, they really, it's a business for them, you know? Sure. I mean, they're leasing some, the highest dollar you'll get, maybe 25 grand per gun for one year, you know, all the way down to maybe $600 a gun, which isn't as fruitful because of the area, because it's been shot up. Sure. Uh, the hunters don't really take care of the whole environmental you side. You 25 know? grand a gun for just pigs? No, no, no. It's no, usually on those, it's like, it's going to be whitetail, neil yeah. guy, and hogs. Right. All right. Yeah, so it's it's a bigger bigger market, and it depends on where you go there too. Like uh, out in West Texas, like if it's a farming piece of land, like they may pay you to sure. kill. Oh no, yeah, and I know that there's some. We've seen some monster bucks <laughs> down in Texas, but oh yeah, yeah. I still uh, the the prices that people are willing to pay for whitetail hunting continues to like baffle me. It I, is unbelievable. I just don't get the what was it what was the mistake rate in, in south texas during the hog hunt like if you shot a spike instead of a doe what was the what were, were you gonna pay uh fortunately that didn't happen so we didn't have to figure it out <laughs> but i mean but, i remember being told <clears throat> ahead of time make sure that you pid them because it's an expensive mistake to make right yeah i don't know that there's ever been like a dollar a specific dollar value put on it um i think it's one of those things that you're kind of just killing like a future future income source so it's, it is hard Which, to like put. although this year they told us that they were going to call all the spikes anyways like they were going to go and call, oh, them, call all them because they were going to bring in a bunch of like high dollar bucks to Got it. don't want those to be making the new population with the does rather than right. the, the little spikes that you don't yeah, know what it's going to be so um i don't think they were as worried about it this i mean year. i know that it was weird to me to go to South Texas where all of the whitetail hunting is high fenced and controlled. Like it's managed as mm-hmm. a source of income because like you said, uh, at that point, every spike is a potential champion buck 10 years down the road. So like if you have a sick cow in West Texas, the fastest way to get your money for it is to like smear oil on the dead cow like hey man we're gonna smear some oil on this cow's face and then we're gonna tell him it was a prize winning you know, prize winning cow <laughs> best cow in my herd i need seventy five hundred dollars from the oil company because they spilled oil on the ground and then the cow drank it and died right so like, oh no all you got to do is make a mistake and shoot the wrong spike 
and then it's a, a five thousand dollar fuck up, right? Well, yeah. some of the well. yeah, some of the buck rates that they were, you know, because it's all based on scoring and sizes. Yep. I mean, it's like fifteen, twenty thousand oh, dollars to yeah. shoot some of those animals. It kind of blows my mind because even some of the the top like elk hunts, you know, are maybe fifteen grand. Uh, yeah. And the idea of, I, I guess, I guess some people just want that that whitetail trophy that that no one else has. I'd rather, well, I'd at rather, that point in a fence in a fence location. I mean, if you if you say, "Hey, man, I want to shoot Big Bessie or whatever," they're going to put you on it. You know, yeah, they're going to put yeah. you oh, yeah. in a stand yeah. right on that animal. So, I mean, at that point, it's. It's not about like, like ooh, what? I stalked this animal or <laughs> right. you know, I, I figured but out where it was. that's not the story you tell your friends. Well, I, I understand <laughs> that. And your friends know yeah. what the real fucking story it's is. Like, it's like John Dill. You know, he's like, man, I set up these, you know, I've got this place I hunt. I set up these trail cams. I go check them every morning and there's this like huge, huge buck that's there. Yeah. So I set up and I've got my bow and like I never got a shot at him this whole season and I tried really hard. But if he next season, I'm going to be looking gunning for him, you know, that's the sort of thing I get it like. All it's right. a, you know, it's a blurry line, though, because let me ask you this. What's the difference between putting out a feeder and hunting over the feeder and hunting at the edge of a farm field where there's a food source? Right. I mean, yeah. just be, one is, hey, I'm actually I'm like throwing it from the from a machine on the ground. But the other is I used a machine to plant it in the no, ground. You're creating and a pattern by baiting them in. If you on the field pattern by, but there's a whole series of fields and, and you have to learn the animals migratory patterns. Like they're not going to well, stay are, on that. You field. are, but a lot of time, a lot of these d- deer are pin trained animals. So they put yeah. them on, they sure. put them on the, fake food sources. They put on food sources and then they like, I'm not arguing about like the high fence kind of like, Hey, we know this deer is going to show up at this specific feeder. I guess I'm I'm thinking more about I, I know a lot of people are kind of like man I would never hunt over a feeder period like even like what you're talking about with John Dill like especially on the East Coast you know the the crop areas you might you might have a farm that only has 50 acres right yeah and so you're hunting over like a 20 acre field or something like that which is funny and, on opening <clears throat> season day to see all of the hunters in their trucks, in the bed of their trucks, all pointing guns at each other, waiting for the deer to come out in the field. <laughs> yeah, I guess my point, though, is that to me, that line gets really, really kind of blurry sure. over, you know, oh, I'm putting up a, a feeder inside the woods versus, oh, no, man, that's not natural. You got to wait at the edge of this cornfield or soybean field. It's like, eh, I think... To me, the difference there gets to be kind of negligible. No, I'm with you. My, my point is, is, like, if you like are on land that's not managed for hunting, sure, you know, the high fence stuff, and you're you're using yes, technological means, but you're literally trying to stalk an individual animal, sure, and you're you know figuring out you're putting up a tree stand in this place where he's been previously seen in certain times, and you're just kind of like waiting for the luck of draw. Like you hit that animal with a with a an arrow. And you're like, you know, I, I understand like, man, this is, I worked You've accomplished hard yeah. to, to right. get this animal. Whereas like I spent 20 grand and I've got this like 200 point buck on my wall. I slept in a feather bed last night Yeah, and I ate yeah. some delicious food prepared to me by the hands of locals. <laughs> yeah. And they drove me out and put me in a stand and within 15 minutes, this freaking buck wanders up. My only question is where's my hand job? Yeah. Well, <laughs> I need one of those. You'd be surprised, bro. Some guys, they actually, they'll sell, they'll have a picture of the animal. They're like, this is the animal that we're selling. 10 grand will get you this animal. Do you want it? Yes. Okay. Sit in this feeder at this time. He's going to come out. 
and shoot him and shoot him at 90 yards or something. Nothing crazy. You know, it's like, yeah, we're into that. There are guys that do that for public land elk too. Really? Yeah. Where it's like, Hey, we send out a guy, he finds this monster bull and we're going to have a dude like follow this bull around. We just follow the dog collar. You know, we take pictures of him. Hey, pay me a fee. I can't sell, I can't sell you this specific animal. Right. But but I, I can know, sell you a guide fee. I can sell you a guy that knows <laughs> where he is and, you know, yeah, t- yeah, yeah. take you out to him, et cetera. So it's definitely, it happens everywhere. And I don't think that it's ever, it's a sliding scale, I guess is my point. You know, there's definitely right. two, two ends of the continuum. Um, I also think that there isn't necessarily even that line of kind of like, Hey, you, you earned it. Like, where does that start? You know, does it have to be like, something that's super intense like where where is the line of i went out there and you know hunted an animal even with even with archery you know guys move from compound bows to like recurve or you know not even a recurve oh, no, like I, a, you know i understand that the bow. goal the goal post move for every person depending on like how far down the rabbit hole they've gone sure you know, i definitely knew right. a guy it's there was one of the instructors at sear school that was like i do these wilderness like survival vacations essentially where he'll get dropped off in the Canadian wilderness for like a month with nothing but a knife. He's like, yeah, I, I bring a bow. He's also a guy that wears loincloths in public. Yes. But he's like, wow. I bring a bow, but I, <laughs> I make all my own arrows like out there and like I'm stalking these animals and you know, and, and to him is like, that's like the purest hunting, right? It's like sure. old school stuff, but he's like, famous for telling you that most human beings have never made their own turd. Like, well, yeah. you eat processed foods. Yeah, yeah, Most yeah. people don't make their own <laughs> turds. <laughs> well, but, you know, so I get that for to him, like even shooting a, an animal with a rifle is like, well, cheating. that's not sporting. It's cheating, baby. But, yeah. You know, <laughs> I guess my line is like, if you didn't have to develop any skill beyond um, working a job and accumulating money to exchange that for sure, like a gun right. and a shot like then I'm not really like, I'm also with you. I get confused see like when I was like when I was growing up and guys would get elk hunts in Colorado and stuff right like man how many years in a row like guys were buying property in Colorado so they could be Colorado natives so they could get a, an elk hunt every year because they wanted an elk because they, mm-hmm. they would like win a lottery spot and they go out there as much as they could during that time and then and wouldn't get an elk Right, like they, elk hunting's hard, man. And well, but I mean, then we yeah, especially very, with the bow. We have Brent go out, and those guys like killed what three with bows. Uh, Everybody got an elk. Not everyone got an elk. That is not true. Oh, really? Uh, no, there. I think there were five guys in okay. that in that hunting party, and they killed three cows, maybe two cows and and, and, a, and, a, and a, a small bull. Yeah, yeah. So, but it's definitely. Well, but that's also strenuous, right? Like you're, that's like an interactive hunt. You're not sitting in a stand. You're like stalking those animals on foot across yeah. open land where yeah. I, I see this thing at two, <laughs> like two clicks away. And I'm like, it's right there. And then you range it and you're like, damn it. All right. Now I'm going to walk towards it. And you're like, oh, now it's walking too. this. This is way less fun than I thought it was going to be. And right. even if you had a guide, like you have to have prowess with a bow. You have to have right. physical fitness in order to like in the stamina to maintain to like track these animals you know like to me that's like hunting even if you've got a guy that's like hey follow me sure do this sort of stuff well i don't know that's just where my goalposts are as a pretty non-hunter 
Like I don't really spend a lot of time out in the <laughs> you woods. Know, and and two years ago, I ended up shooting my my first buck with a bow. Before that, I had just shot rifle. So I had I had shot with a bow as far as practice, but never actually hunted with it. And I will say that after shooting a whitetail with a bow, I probably will not ever go back to a rifle. But even though it wasn't my first buck, I mean, man, I got, I mean, the adrenaline rush was just out of this world, you know? Was that your first bow hunt too? That was my first bow hunt. Yeah, that first and you got that a, actually And you got hunt. a buck? And I got a buck, bro. It was a, and it scored a 139 <laughs> and, and a portion, you know, just under 140 class. He's a good Our hunter. Dude. No wonder you got a rush. You like, you basically hit the jackpot on like your first trip. <laughs> yeah, out. It was like the Cody Alford bro. hog hunt. It's like, hey, is yeah. everybody, does everybody shoot 20 hogs their first day? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, like, and I've ever been, since that, ever since that day, I mean, it's been, it's changed my thought process. Not that I thought any less of bow hunters, but I actually noticed the difficulty in doing so, you know, I mean, the repetition, I mean, you can shoot a target. Like I tell my friends, I actually just texted a buddy here recently because he was wanting to tighten up his groups on a bow that he just bought. And I was like, bro, you know what? You can tighten up the group any more than you'd like, but it's not going to be any help if you can't control your breathing. You can't actually get the shot off on an animal. I mean, this is a full-size animal that somebody might have shot at and they miss entirely, but you should put them behind a target. And I mean, they'll group the arrows maybe an inch, almost touching, sure. you know? Well, I think the other thing with bow hunting is that... <clears throat> depending on the situation, especially if you're not hunting from a stand, you have to be able to draw the bow before you can even right. fire an arrow, right? So, and, th and then drawing it and then actually maintaining your composure while you're waiting for the right shot, keep yeah. the drawback, your shoulder, you, your body starts getting fatigued because you're having to hold this up and you just really can't fuck it up. You know, you got to let well, it go it, without jumping it. Even getting to that point, drawing the bow without spooking the animal, right? That's like a lot right. of a lot of physical movement versus you know, having a gun that's already kind of in position and right. just kind of rotating it into the right place. But I do think that there has been, I don't know, this, I don't want to say like a movement because it's not like people have organized anything, but there has been a trend maybe that has, yeah. recently that, you know, bow hunting is, is way more majestic than rifle hunting. And I think it really, it really just <clears throat> depends on the situation. You know, if you're hunting, oh, yeah. If you're hunting planes and you could still be having a very physically strenuous hunt, covering a lot of right. distance, really working to close in on an animal, and a rifle might be the best tool for the job. Exactly. Versus, you know, hey, if you're hunting the planes with a bow, I mean, how are you going to get within on horseback, yards? side well, slung? If you're, yeah, <laughs> I don't understand what's so difficult. Riding bareback. Native Americans did it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, so. it is possible. You still see some guys, you know, they're putting their, their stories about how they get super close to pronghorn sure. or whatever. Which but, is crazy, right? Yeah. And I mean, they're still able to get like like an 80-yard shot accurately to drop mm -hmm. an animal, you know? And I mean, it's possible, yes, but is it super practical or is somebody really going to train year-round to do something like that? To be able to have that opportunity to actually get that close to one of those animals, it's, I mean, I, I don't know of anybody that would do it. You know, just hunting whitetail alone, their senses are so high. Yeah, uh, like I, you said, when people do photo like tourism, right? Like photo safaris, you think right. about like people spend a lot of money on a really big telephoto lens to get close enough to take a picture to feel like they're close to an animal. They're not actually close enough for you to kill it with a bow. Right. Right. Yeah. Like <laughs> there's a, a herd of antelope in the wild. It feels like I'm running with them. 
oh no, my friend, you're still like two times far farther away than you'd have to be to make a kill shot with a bow. No, to get a good kill <laughs> shot, you got to be pretty close. And I think that there are a lot of people that end up taking unethical bow shots on That's animals because, hey, this is my one chance. I've been waiting for this to happen. I can't get closer than 80 yards or 90 yards. And, you know, the fact is, is that if you, you could really maim, you could maim an animal so much more easily with an arrow than you can with a gun. Right. Um, you know, you, you shoot an animal in the gut with a gun and it might, it, it's a shitty shot. It's probably going to die pretty quickly. You know, you hit yeah. an animal in the back or like a, you know, a leg with an arrow you're going to fuck that animal up and maybe he gets eaten alive by predators instead of dying from, from your arrow. Lucky wolf. Oh yeah. Well, I'm sure that happens a lot. You know, it's the circle I think of life. I think it's a hunter's responsibility to be doing his best or her best job to make a clean ethical kill. And that's not to say that people don't fuck things up. Sometimes everyone has yeah. a bad shot or, you know, equipment failure or whatnot. Uh, but I do think that this trend towards archery hunting is, you know, being so much more righteous than than rifle hunting has probably led to people really pushing the the limits there. I think part of archery hunting is knowing, hey, you know what, this is this is pushing past my boundaries, or this isn't going to be a good shot. You know, the guys that <clears throat> the guys that make the eighty yard shots look easy are the dudes that have been doing it for twenty years. Yeah, of and course you know, the Cameron Haynes type guys. In fact, I heard him on a podcast and he was talking about shooting. I think it was a, a grizzly maybe, or maybe a moose. And so it was probably, you know, Joe Rogan podcast, but the, the host of the podcast was like, yeah, you know, what was it? What was that? It was like a 102 yard shot. You know, he was like, man, I wish you hadn't said that because <laughs> I don't want people yet. Yeah, like I'm not, I'm not happy about the fact that I took that shot. I knew I yeah. could make it, but I don't want that information out there as in like, oh yeah, you right. should just be like slinging arrows at animals from a hundred yards yeah. away. That's the so range get, of a bow. Yeah. yeah. But also yeah. did he know, right? Like when we get fast and loose, like the more experience you get, the more you push your boundaries. So like he took a 102 yard shot that he thought he could make and things worked out well for him as an expert, right? Yeah, but he's also a guy who's routinely right. you know, on social media being like, hey, 160-yard boat range. Like, I practice up to 160 <laughs> yards, yeah. and I can still drill, like, sub-MOA, you know, with a bow at 160 yards because when I'm in Alaska and I have that 100-yard shot, I want to have the option to take it and know that I can still make a good shot. But Jerry Mikulik's not shooting people with a 38 caliber revolver upside down at 120 yards either right like i, hear you. I can I hear pull you. that shot you, and you could hey you can make the argument that that was an unethical shot for him to, to take right but my point is basically just that i still think that rifle hunting is totally acceptable and and the it's just an issue of what's the right tool for the job what's no, the situation I totally agree that. the 458 so, hammer yeah. is the right tool all the time yeah, you know what? I'm not. I'm not 100 percent sure after this, after this last trip. But I'm pretty no, sold I, on the the shorty 300 blackout being the right tool all the time. Yeah. Oh man, don't even get me started with that. I'm still waiting. Uh, Sterling has one coming this way, hopefully pretty soon. Oh man, after that, are you getting one of those? Yeah. Oh, look at you. You're like the third guy from the hog hunt that right afterwards was like, "Well, time to build a 300 blackout." Yeah. After seeing, I think yours, uh, Dave's, and and Nick's, I mean, man, I was like, man, you know what? Do you guys all have I had, your 30s I had gone now? to a 308. No. 
no. like an AR-10 platform gas gun. Cause I was like, you know what? 223 is not always going to do it. Hogs are still going to run. Let me, you know, get some bigger ammo for these bigger animals, you know? So I went ahead and jumped over the AR-10 and man, I don't know. I had, it was, it was a complete rifle that I bought just cause it was a good price off the, off the website. I got it. At first it shot pretty decent, but I started shooting suppressed and here comes all the, you know, misfeeds, stovepipes, inaccuracy. And I know I more just, people that complain about AR-10s than are yeah. happy with them. And I talked to I a mean, buddy of mine. Especially suppressed. Like that's, it's not fair to play that game, right? Because like you have we have how many years of tuning experience on ARs? Like on a on a <laughs> five five six platform, you know what you have to do. And on a seven six two gun, it's like, well, I mean, you could have just bought a knights, you know, or like I mean, no, man, nobody's gonna spend six thousand dollars on a no. seven six two platform just to get one that works with a can. Right. All right. I mean, how many shots are you taking? I mean, with a bunch of hogs, how many follow-up <clears throat> shots are you going to run? Man, you know what? Realistically, I'd say about five max. Okay. Because everybody's under the impression you shoot suppressed. Oh, man, I can slay a whole herd of them. No, nah, bro. No, you can't. <laughs> Re- really, I, I went suppressed not only for my hearing, but for the guys around me because I usually hunt in groups, let's just say. So most of us now are shooting suppressed. So all those follow-up shots when the gun's rotating on the tripod, you're not having to worry about blowing somebody's ear out, you know? Oh, yeah, dude. Nothing is worse than the fucking giant muzzle break that ends <laughs> up right next to your head. Oh, yeah. What? Aaron's, like, looking at me like this is my responsibility. I Did like breaks. Have- They're rad. <laughs> Did y'all have one of those happen or what? I uh, just, I, you know, you show up to, I don't, I'm not. Especially when we share stands. You share a stand, dude, and it's game on. Like, (laughs) you're like dying to take the first shot just so you don't have to deal with the the other guys cowering in the corner, like, oh, my ear. You're like, yes, I Uh, win again. You you show up (laughs) to the range, or at least I do, and there's some old guy there that's shooting something with the craziest muzzle break you've ever seen. He just asked. And no one wants to be within six benches on either side of him. Just like, man, especially with the metal overhead cover that, that just amplifies it. Yeah. It's just kind of a, I don't know. I feel like it's, (laughs) yeah, it's an asshole move in my opinion. Crazy muzzle break asshole move. You heard it here. I mean, I just, I just I love my Lantac dragon. You quiet. Down. Yeah. I just want to, I want my gun to run like a typewriter and I want it to be flat and people to be like, what is that? A BB gun? You're like, yes, a five, five, six BB gun that shoots super, super. Repent. But yeah, it's definitely like it's, it's all for you and it's not for anybody around you having like a really nice break for sure. Yeah. And if you know what, if you're hunting by yourself out in the middle of nowhere or shooting on your own range, fucking go for it, man. But if you're lined up and there's a dude next to you, four feet away. It's, it's just kind everybody, of everybody, but yeah. me in a shoot I get house. It. I mean, it's the same thing. Like what if every time I, that dude went to pull the trigger, you know, I just blasted an air horn. It's like, what man? Like <laughs> that's just, awesome. Just part of my routine. Can we, can we please do that in the future? That's like the best thing ever. <laughs> I, I do feel like etiquette is something that the firearms world could use a whole lot of that. They oh, really most have. definitely. Or a rap air horns, more rap air horns. <laughs> <laughs> etiquette is stupid. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I've heard people say, oh, man, when you go to a range, it's the most polite place because everyone's armed. Like, nah. Who says that? I, I've just heard people say that. Yeah, I've heard people say That's that. That's like too. going to a gun show and thinking people are going to be polite and not neo-Nazi assholes. Yeah, I, well. <laughs> Which they, most, they mostly are. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't think that guns make people more polite at all. Oh, no, no, no. No. So. 
they if, empower me to be anything, who I really want to be because no one's going to fuck with me when I've got a gun. It's like that uh, Simpsons episode. This is how God must feel when he holds a gun. <laughs> 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 but in any event, um, so <clears throat> what what is next for you, Roque? Like you're, you've been hunting pretty consistently for a while. Are you looking to hunt other places are you looking to kind of change up equipment or you look like what's the what's the next goal for you you know what i've been i've been opting out of getting on some leases down here to do the the standard you know ordinary white tail hunting that we've been doing pretty much all our lives mm-hmm. uh, to try and get up north and do more of like the big game you know as far yeah. as elk uh, elk pronghorn antelope uh things of that nature you know and, and luckily what at the hog hunt in talking to uh to josh he, we ended up linking up and we've kept in communication here the past couple of months, trying to get, trying to get up on that, those, uh, elk hunts that he had put in for. And yep. from what I understand, I think one has failed. The other one's still pending. Uh, uh, yeah, I'm not sure. I know I actually, I just saw him a few weeks ago. He was coming okay. through town and, uh, bestowed upon us a, a pretty nice gift for the office. Oh, I saw that. And yeah. Yeah, he. It sounds like he thinks he's gonna miss basically all of hunting season this year. So, I know he's moving. Um, yeah, he's, he's moving, and it sounds like he's probably gonna get deployed as soon as he. Oh, really? Is he that moves. so? Is that not like the coolest dude you've ever met? Oh yeah, dude, he's rad. Like he's like the most good natured guy ever. Uh, he's the definition of a dude that you're like, no, he's not an officer. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> he's he's always chill, man. I feel like. True no matter, fun in all weathers, Josh Dietz, man. Yeah, whatever whatever situation's going on with that guy is No nah, man, I ain't gonna let that ruin my good time. Yeah, he's yeah. just <laughs> he's just hanging out, you know. He's also one of the best storytellers I've met. Like that guy tells the funniest fucking stories. <laughs> we gotta get him on the podcast. Absolutely. I'm still appalled at the the quality of liquor consumed at the hog hunt I went to year before last where I'm like, like Josh refuses to consume regular alcohol. It has to come in an oddly shaped circus bottle. Like, Oh, this one looks like a motorcycle or what? A, oh, and like the, the guides were like, we brought you your special bottle. It's an AK 47. And you're like, why would anyone drink vodka from an AK-47 <laughs> bottle? You know well, it's going to well, be terrible. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, man, I had, a, I had the worst hangover from that AK-47 vodka. You're like, I, shocking. Said no one ever. Right. <laughs> he he's also, a, I think he got on that 300 blackout game too. Oh, uh, yeah. He's one of the guys that right after the hunt was like, uh, well, starting my 300 blackout build. He sent me some pictures, man. He did the, he did his all fancied up with a, a black and red color theme. And oh, yeah. 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 Well, he had that like Zev knockoff 9, nine mil. That, or oh, that clock. pistol. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah, that was sick. Gucci'd out. Uh, did that? Did you handle the stippling on that one? No, he's the one that figured like uh, he's the guy who and met the guy, right? Yeah. So that was funny. Can you know, we give we a got, shout out to that dude? Because that work is like the sickest work of all time. Yeah. His his name is uh, Ben Butler, and I legitimately man, I, have I'm never have seen to, Stippling that good, man. I'm gonna have to look up the name of his company. If here. you guys look at my Instagram, um, that grip on my PCC, if the one with the gold so- soft lead spade. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh dude, it's amazing, and like, man, he just he just cranks that stuff out. 
Wow. Stalwart yeah, we, defense. Stalwart defense. Yeah. The grips okay. that he made for, well, he made a grip for Josh. And it's funny because mm-hmm. we got an email into like the general, you know, like help at softly.com email box. And it was someone asking for a high res, you know, like vector art version of our logo, which is something that we don't just kind of like hand out to people. And I emailed him back and asked him who, you know, just out of curiosity, who's getting this done. Because there aren't that many people that are looking to get softly logos on their on their guns. Yeah. He's like, oh, yeah, man. He's like, it's this dude that I work with. His name's Josh. Well, I'm like, no shit, man. I don't know why Josh didn't just email us. But <laughs> in any event, that kind of took us down the rabbit hole of figuring out what Ben was doing. You know, he's uh, he's working out at Fort Campbell as well. And we got a bunch of grips made from him. I'm gonna have to send you one because we got a, we got a few more on order. They turned out absolutely fantastic. The, nice. the, the AR grips. Yeah. So, Doug actually helped me uh, resolve the the clusterfuck <laughs> of a situation that maybe, I created. Maybe not to, the prettiest way ever, but <laughs> <laughs> it worked out all right. Yeah. In the end, all's well that <clears throat> end well. Little duct yeah. tape and uh, sharpie pens. Yep, one sharpie solves everything. We're good to go. <laughs> but in any event, yeah, man, I hope that you can make it out with Josh or otherwise. It's yeah, uh, yeah. We got. He said that you know he's going to be moving, and once he gets settled in, he was going to try and get the ticket or get some insight on on getting some gator hunt planned. Yeah, and I was like that would be pretty rad, you know. That'd be super um, rad. I could totally yeah. picture Josh with like an airboat in his backyard. <laughs> I know oh, that, this whole uh, thing. <laughs> <laughs> it's got like some some like eight liter supercharger on like this five hundred two engine, just straight headers. Like oh, right? this whole thing. <laughs> yeah, she goes right. And making, I know it. Um, making some gator boots. Yeah, yeah. John John <laughs> wants me to head up there see if we can do some hunting out out by his area once he settled in. I think he was going to be getting some sort of uh, uh what is it like a fishing. Ta- we're talking, about, we're talking about dill. Yeah. I just want to go on record yeah. as saying I'm, I'm highly amused that when John came on and talked about taking over that, um, that Marina, I've received no less than two messages from guys I know that are like very avid fishermen. They're like, Hey man, can you uh, link me up with your boy, John dill? who's now the <laughs> owner of this Marina that I used to go to all the time. I'm like, really? Like who knew that John was inheriting like a, a well-loved Marina. It sounds oh, like it's yeah. been out there for 50 years. Yeah. Or so. Forever. So, yeah, yeah man. But, well, you'll have to let us know when you make it out this way. Yeah, actually, I mean, believe it or not, I'm going to be heading up there at the beginning of June. All right. I'll be up, I'll be up there for four days uh, just to kind of hang out before I before I take off for some training. So Cody said he was going to let you all know so he doesn't steal me for himself. All right. Well, <laughs> like, shoot me a message, man, so yeah. we can clear off the calendar. It'll be super rad to get together. Yeah, most definitely. If Cody tries to steal you for himself, he will like duct tape you up and put you in the trunk of his car and then we'll (laughs) promptly forget what he was going to use you for. So (laughs) we'll make sure that doesn't happen. Overheated. (laughs) What did I what did I get him for? Uh, Right. Can't remember he's there even. There's no (laughs) trunk on that jalopy ranger he drives. (laughs) (laughs) Oh yeah, just roll out the back. Big man in the little car. (laughs) Well, Hey, man, thanks very much for joining us today. We really appreciate it. Oh, yeah, no problem, hopefully, man. I appreciate it. Had a good time. Yeah, hopefully we get to see you in a few weeks. That'd be super rad. Yeah, I'll be up there. Cool. Well, coming at you live from Softlead HQ, thanks for joining us for another episode of the Die Living Podcast. We will catch you next week.